Hello and welcome to another episode of the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. This is the show where we bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they have been working on. And tonight's cool guest is RPG designer and editor, Ed Turner. And that cool thing that we're going to be talking about is Fate of Cthulhu. Welcome, Ed. Uh, thank you so much for having me. No problem. I am super excited to have you on and to talk to you about some Cthulhu and some mythos and some fate. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's actually funny that um, fate is one of the very first games that was not Dungeons and Dragons that I actually played. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is all just kind of going to be full circle and now getting to talk to somebody who's actually worked with Evil Hat to bring a fate product to life is really cool. So, we are talking about Fate of Cthulhu, the latest Cthulhu, but mythos-adjacent game from Evil Hat. And basically what you all are doing is, Ed, explain, give me the brief, like, what is Fate of Cthulhu? I'm not going to say it. We'll let you do it. I think the, the, the way we tend to talk about Fate of Cthulhu is, uh, what, if, what if Terminator, but Skynet, was Cthulhu? It is, yeah, it is a game about uh, the apocalypse having already occurred as a great old one uh, bursts forth into the world, rending and tearing and destroying everything around it because it is a horror of cosmic scope. Uh, And the last few surviving bastions of humanity, uh, as their last hope, because the world is doomed, send a few representatives back in time. Uh, Because you can't, fight Cthulhu, but if you work very hard, maybe, just maybe, you can prevent it from being summoned in the first place. So, right off the bat, so I, I saw this, this these marketing terms thrown around all throughout your Kickstarter, the, the website, and just the book itself, where it's just so much time travel. So, would you, I have never associated any sort of mythos or Lovecraftian work with time travel. I'm sure it's there, but you know what? This is, it was just, it was so weird and it was so cool and it just made a whole lot of sense. And I couldn't think of any way to complicate an already complicated mythos kind of idea than <laughs> just throwing in time travel. So I have to commend you all for just <laughs> taking it and running with it. Uh, well, thank you. I, th- I think we did some cool stuff with it. So speaking of, uh, so we, because you all, so you all, you mm-hmm. have a, there's a very large group of folks who worked on this game. Some, a lot of, a lot of names that um, a lot of people will know. And so, but with that, when you're working with a large, expansive team, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of different roles and hats that need to be worn. So can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what you specifically worked on with the game? Absolutely. I was brought in uh, a little, a little bit, I guess, towards the the middle of creating this game, between the first and second round of uh, of play testing. Um, and initially, my job really was just to coordinate uh, a couple of different documents into one cohesive whole, so that you know these different ideas that had come from different people that were working on it could be mashed together uh, into one document that a playtester could read and understand. And that was kind of kind of my, you know, initial mercenary job was to just make that happen. But then once that 
finished, I was I, I stuck around. They couldn't get rid of me. Okay. <laughs> as hard as they might try. So you st- no, they they probably love that because they were all having all these crazy <laughs> ideas, and then they actually had somebody who could just kind of take them and put smash them up together. So with that all in mind, when looking back now at your not necessarily career, but your history with role playing games. Can you talk to us a little bit about what sort of games do you enjoy to play, enjoy playing? And then can also you talk about what games influence your particular design philosophy when you approached Fate of Cthulhu? Oh, oh, that's interesting. Um, like what? <laughs> like what was, if you could go back, you know, yeah, little Ed Turner. All right. What would, what would you say um, back in the day was, well, what game did you start start off with um i mean honestly i think the first game that i played for any real length of time was dungeons and dragons fourth edition that's that is where i kind of came into the rpg scene was good old 4e uh, underappreciated, perhaps. I, I think it is. I, I absolutely think it is. You hear it, a lot of people love the system, for sure, and I don't think it gets enough love. So you, you went from 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons, a very uh, <laughs> tactical game that you can really, that with a lot of rules that really just kind of work to do a particular thing. Mm-hmm. A very mechanical-focused thing. And now you're doing Fate. Which to me is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Where it's a it's a story game. So what was that? Did you when did you realize that you really enjoy the the storytelling aspects of fate? Uh, well, I, I mean, actually, uh, I have spent a lot of time in the Seattle story game scene with stuff that is e- even more just story only. No no mechanics. Your fiascos. Your microscopes. Your things of that nature so i i have i've done a lot of time with those and i love i love those too uh they are absolutely great uh and i think one of the things that i enjoy about fate is that it really it does kind of uh thread that needle between you know a very highly precise game where system mastery is a thing that you have to actually pursue uh and you're Given you're empowered by these rules to do interesting things, but you are also hemmed in by them at the same time. Uh, and on the other hand, you have this much more loosey-goosey, very free-flowing world of pure story games where you don't have a lot holding you down, and that, in its own way, can be a bit constraining. Um, and I think that... And, and th- there are a lot of games that I think are very good at you know, splitting those uprights. I think anything that's powered by the apocalypse or Forge in the Dark also handle that very well. But Fate is, I think, what comes to my mind for being an an adventure game in a traditional mold that really lets you put story uh, first in that way. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. And I think that's why it was so simple for me to jump from Dungeons and Dragons to be, Fate being the very first story game that I could play and it really did help bridge that gap for me and really helped me learn to tell better stories not only as a game master but as a player and more collaboratively focused so when we're thinking about Fate of Cthulhu there's obviously this idea of 
Cthulhu games and Mythos games. There, there is a long storied history that we don't need to go into as far as these games. They have mm-hmm. existed for a very long time. But a lot of times they do have this, this, we, we've all been not, the gaming community has been conditioned to believe that a Cthulhu game needs to be very doom and gloom, you know, a roll under system. And it's just <laughs> uh, the whole idea. I mean, they, they're D20s out there, but the whole idea that the players aren't necessarily going to, to win. But with fate, it is all about adventure and high stakes in the players doing stuff. Yes, they fail and create drama, but they do stuff and it's exciting. So how do you do that? With a Cthulhu game, you get the players to do something and take the risk that the fate system so often encourages. Oh. Um. Well. I think one of the things that helps in Fate of Cthulhu, uh, in terms of like. Uh, how do I want to put this? Sorry. <laughs> You're fine. It's a tough question. It is. It is a tough question. Um, it, in terms of you know making this setting that has these kind of elements of doom, you know, you you are doomed, but you still are proactive. One of the things that I think really helps with that is the uh, uh, the, the the timeline, the, the way the timeline changes uh, over time. Uh, as you play. Um, see, when you go back in time, the the apocalypse that is going to happen, you know, it, it is still going to happen, but the events that you do over the course of the game will potentially ripple forward. That is sort of how time travel affects the nature of the game, is you get to experience these ripples as that apocalypse potentially hopefully becomes less bad and i think like if i were to say you know what is what is so cool about that and what helps you know, navigate being proactive but also doomed is that's not a strict binary you aren't necessarily going to end up saving the world and you're done hooray uh you're kind of your goal instead is to just see how much better can you make things. In so most cases, the apocalypse is still going to happen in some form or another, but you can make it less bad. And because there is time travel, you can even try again. So that is, in of itself, very, very cool. The whole idea of time travel, that you can, you screw up, hey, let's go back and try it again. I've never thought about, like, could you, just the whole idea of, like, that session did not go how we wanted to do it. Let's rinse, wash, and repeat, folks, and we're going to we're gonna try again. So you've kind of mentioned that the whole idea of players in Fate of Cthulhu are playing time travelers going back in time mm-hmm. to, to save humanity. Can you kind of talk about the... Do you all have, like, a set timeline within this game that players travel through? Or is it kind of up to the people at the table to establish their own timeline? Uh, well, what, what we have in the book, there are uh, five different... Uh, wait, are there, are there six? Gosh, how many are there? 
five. Okay, five, five different sort of preset, and and I I call them timelines. But one of the things that is important is the the chronology isn't super duper strict. Uh, but they are a series of events that sort of led up to one particular apocalypse. For instance, you know, here is Cthulhu's timeline. Here are the four things that we think, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic scientists and researchers think. These are the things that allowed Cthulhu to come to Earth. Uh, these are the things that you are going to need to change or prevent. Um, so, you know, you have this timeline, and as you pursue these four different events, uh, essentially go on four different ma main missions, uh, you will create ripples uh, that filter down to change both the other events on this timeline and the actual fifth and final event, which is always the arrival of the Great Old One. So the, the timelines, you know, we have them that are prepared for you, and we have more that are going to be coming out uh, in the upcoming months uh, because of the Kickstarter, a bunch of stretch goal timelines. Um, okay. But we also have rules... Uh, and guidelines for how to create your own, because, uh, of course, you can imagine more horrible, more horrible delights than I, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. You all came up with some pretty crazy stuff. So, the one of the things I wanted to ask you, do you have, what? what's your favorite timeline, then? Ooh, um, King and Yellow. <laughs> do you get I, to go to France? You get to go... Uh, to France? You get to go... Wait, do you get to go to France there? You get to go all over the place. All over the place? Um, you get to go to... Well, you get to go to Carcosa. That's exciting. Uh, you get to go awesome. to London. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, they are, they are most of them pretty, pretty globe-trotting. Uh, okay. That is... So that's one of the aspects of the mythos that I really, really... And Lovecraftian stuff that I really, really like. So... The my real first taste of Lovecraft and Cthulhu came from the board game Eldritch Horror, mm -hmm. and that is one of those games where you're just globe trotting adventurers, and you're going through and you're killing monsters and you're doing all this cool stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I I I love Lovecraft, and so I went ahead and <laughs> not knowing anything, I went and read it, and I was like, no, this is this is not what i wanted like this is not the globe trotting adventurers going around the globe shooting people this is too much i don't need this much nihilism in my life and so so that is one of the cool things that i really do like about what you all have done is you've made it exciting we try i mean we're definitely going for the more the more pulp side of lovecraft and that's and that's fine we love that i have to ask you though the the cover to this all right, you see the you see the the person on the motorcycle mm. with the gun. Was that a direct callback to Terminator? I'll never. T yes. Of okay. Course. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It took. I. It, I, it took. I did not realize this until like the the fifteenth time I've looked at this cover. And I was like, wait a second, that's a, that's Terminator. Oh, it's it's very cool. So I've only had one opportunity to ever use time travel at my table, and it went horribly awry. All right. Mm. So do you it, have, it can be hard. <laughs> it can be very hard. So with that in mind, I get I do get nervous when I hear time travel in a game. So how do you help? Are there ways that you can? What are your tips for 
playing a game that has time travel in it. And I'm, cause I'm sure that in Fate of Cthulhu, you all have included some ways to make it simpler for the GM. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I think we handle time travel in probably the, the easiest way to handle it. And it is time isn't something that you can just play with however you feel. It is, uh, it is one trip back. And, you know, you, you get to the, the, the beginning prior to all of the bad things, and then you are taking the slow path back to the future. Uh, so you can't just keep jumping back in time. Uh, and part of that is because, like, the technology uh, to travel through time is something that gets invented after the apocalypse because it's our last-ditch effort to save humanity. Uh, and the other aspect of that is that the technology to travel back in time is uh, not without its own eldritch components. Okay. Uh, you, uh, um, you are, in fact, going to be uh, corrupted by Yogg-Sothoth every time you go back in time. Because uh, it is the, the key in the gate that uh, uh, connects all times and places. It is fundamental to travel through time. And as you go back in time, you gain a corruption aspect. You get corrupted by Eldritch forces, which means that even if you are playing a game where you say, okay, you know, we're going to take the slow boat back to the future and going to reset all of this, you really only get so many resets before you stop being a human. Uh, so... So that's probably its own thing worth talking about. I can see the expression on yeah, your face. my face, because I did <laughs> want to talk about this, the corruption versus sanity, because this has been compared to a lot of people, because it is not, I need to, this is not a, you all have not, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, and um, make sure you do. Um, this is not you all just taking sanity, taking the name sanity off of it and slapping corruption. This is something completely different because we all know there's definitely, there are so many problematic things that we can talk about Lovecraft's writing. And one of those <laughs> things is there's that one of those items is sanity and how he talked about people with what he considered mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so what you all have done is you've removed sanity completely and you've replaced it with, you've put a new kind of, negative or not you put corruption in there can you mm -hmm. explain a little bit this process and why you all what was it like to say we're not going to put any sort of sanity rules in our game and we're going to use something new um well yeah not having sanity that was a, a very early decision i mean that that was even before i got involved that was very much you know they, they knew that was off the table again because it is problematic and honestly because it's it's not particularly indicative of even Lovecraftian characters who, um, you know, they don't necessarily go insane at the end of the story every time or even all that often. Um, and it's... Even, even if we ignore those aspects... The idea of, hey, when you engage with all the cool stuff in our setting, you become a less viable character is super anti-fun. So anti-fun. I, so, I am so against anything that doesn't make you just a superhero almost, so. 
And that's what corruption really does, is it does make you a superhero. Sort of. Okay. Sort of. The way it works, you know, the the in-universe justification is that contact with, um, you know, these cosmic forces, it changes people. It changes who you are at some fundamental level that, you know, doesn't necessarily... Is, isn't something you can necessarily explain with mundane earthly science, but it mutates you. It makes you somewhat more monstrous. And some things can like inherently make that happen. Like traveling back in time is such an experience that you will come out of it on the other end being fundamentally changed. But also corruption is just sort of a, a resource that you have a limited amount of. And as it builds up, if you gain too much of it, you become further corrupted. And when you get corrupted, one of your aspects changes. And to sort of do a real brief, you know, 10-second uh, what are aspects, because they are kind of fundamental to any fate game, uh, an aspect is a short sentence that is both true and narratively interesting. You know, the kind of easy example is, if you light something on fire, then it gains the aspect on fire. And this is now a true fact, and anything else that happens in the narrative has to kind of respect the truth of what a thing that's on fire is like. And as a character, you start with five aspects, and these are your five, and they define you very fundamentally. Uh, if you say that you are a, I don't know, doctor of metaphysical research then that is you, and whenever that matters, you can invoke that aspect for a bonus, you can get compelled and have bad things happen to you because of this true fact of yourself, and you just sometimes can say, hey, as a doctor of metaphysics, this is something I should probably know, and the other people at the table will almost always say, yes, of course, because that is true and it is important. And to have that aspect that partially defines you and turn it into... Well, I'm no longer a doctor of metaphysics. I have to get rid of this aspect because now I have grotesque back tentacles. <laughs> you lose something of your character, but you do gain grotesque back tentacles. Those are very useful. They are very useful because the other cool thing about corruption is that you gain a corruption stunt and that is a superpower. And <laughs> you can talk about it in other ways. It's like the advantage of being inhuman, but for all practical senses it's a superpower it's your monstrous horrible superpower that you get by being a little more monstrous and horrible oh, i love it so much <laughs> yeah it's it's very interesting and it goes and it's just it's very it's very high stakes high action that is a lot of people i think want from cthulhu games but when they go to get them that's not what's there because we've all been there's this di cthulhu in fiction and in role-playing games is a lot different than the Cthulhu of pop culture. And so mm -hmm. I think that you all have taken that and really taken the Cthulhu in the games and done and brought it to what a lot of people think of when they think of Cthulhu within pop culture, which is really cool. So talking about corruption still, these are basically powers or ways that players can change their aspects. Mm -hmm. So, so do, is this a is this a resource then that 
are players encouraged then within the system to become more corrupt? That's a fair question. Um, and I, I think, obviously, that is in the hands of players. You are never, well, since some of you, some players will have to be time travelers and they will necessarily uh, be corrupt, but you don't necessarily have to use your corruption stunt. You don't, you can avoid corruption as much as you want. Um, but it does make you more powerful. It gives you more, uh, you know, useful options that are, I don't want to call them game-breaking, because Fate is a very hard game to break, uh, but they're definitely game-changing. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm glancing down at the sort of sample corruption stunts right here, uh, which is, this is another thing I did. I wrote these. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. And uh, they can, oh uh, yes, you can basically fly. You can uh, see anything that has traveled through time or evidence of tampering with time. You can just see it. Um, all doors in your presence are unlocked because you have been favored by Yogg-Sothoth. Like, these are the kinds of things that you can just do. So you do get more powerful, but of course there is a trade-off. Uh, and part of that trade-off is your kind of monstrousness is obvious, uh, and it does have negative impacts on you, and it can be compelled, uh, which is another like major factor of any fate game that is is worth getting to. And I'll talk about that more in a second. But the other problem with corruption is if you get too corrupt, if you lose all five of your aspects, that that is game over, uh, and it is pretty hard to die in a fate game without being okay with that but if you lose all of your humanity your time as a playable character is is done yeah and that's one of the things that i like about fate is most of the time you don't have to choose a com you don't have to accept the compel right mm -hmm. which i don't know do you want to explain compels real quick sure it basically uh one of the most important resources in Fate is the Fate Point. It is, you know, a, a point that you start with a few of them, uh, and you can spend them to invoke an aspect, to gain a bonus on a roll or a re-roll, and really just get that success you need when you need it. And the way you get them back is by accepting compels. Uh, and a compel is what happens when the, the GM looks at one of your aspects and says, oh, hey, in this situation... Wouldn't it make sense for this bad thing to happen, or for you to make this bad decision, and suggest some narrative consequence that just makes life harder for you and all of your allies? And if you agree, yeah, that does make sense, even though I don't want that to happen, you get a fate point. And you are better able to take on further challenges by suffering through this one now. Yeah, and that's one of the very interesting things about Fate, which I really appreciate, is that it's not just tied to... What happens to your character is not just tied to the luck of the dice. Mm -hmm. It is tied to the GM asks you, do you want something to happen? And then it may be bad, but one of the things within Fate is that bad is not necessarily bad for the people at the table. You're making, you're creating a much more interesting, well-rounded story. But at the end of the day the player still has that narrative control to choose what happens to their character. And they're not just 
dead. So, but let's say you do. Let's say, you know, you, you decide that you want that you want that last bit of corruption. Mm-hmm. What does that look like in a game? Is that just the character is now dead? Or is this a really cool way to get your character to exit the story? This is, I would say, a really cool way to get your character to exit the story and be replaced by a really profoundly unsettling uh, monster that the GM now has the uh, the ability to just sort of keep in their back pocket and deploy when it is going to be most heartbreaking to face down the thing that used to be Bob. That's fantastic. Nobody wants to fight the... Nobody wants to fight the Bob monster, you know? The unspeakable Bob. No. G- give me a nameless horror, not... Not Bob. Not Bob. <laughs> so, so... So what? what speaking of, so death in Lovecraftian horror—it's always—it always feels so inevitable. So we have the idea of corruption, but when we're talking about dying in *Fate of Cthulhu*, is it easy to die? Is this like a *Call of Cthulhu* thing? Can are we are we burning through characters here? It it is not easy to die. As a general rule in a fate game, it is very hard to die without being willing if not eager for that to happen um you can you can die if you get taken out in a in a conflict and your opponent says yes i want this to happen uh and it makes sense for it to be on the table but you know there's there's like there's some precision in the terminology there when you when you take stress in a in from an attack and you can't uh, absorb it or take a consequence or otherwise deal with it, you are taken out. You're not killed, you're taken out. And what that means uh, depends on what your opponent wants. Okay. Uh, and also you always have the opportunity before that happens to concede, to say, hey, this fight is going very poorly for me. Uh, the one thing I want is to not get killed how can we how can we make a deal to make that work? There's there are lots of options to to enable you to survive very dangerous situations. So it doesn't just come down to a slugfest of hit points. It doesn't just come down to a slugfest of hit points. Which can be fun, but I think with fate it's it's not what the system is supposed to do. So no. um and I I get that there are people who think that Death needs to be right around the corner for a horror game to be horrifying, which is something that I just have never really agreed with, because honestly, in a horror game, death is usually such a boring result, Um, when it is so much more interesting to have a fate worse than death, right? Yeah, it's, uh, that, you know, it's that tension that is building up to it. Mm-hmm. So... The talking about the, the the scary things that are out there in this world. So one of the things that is, you've said it, that this is basically Skynet, but Cthulhu. And, but when you think about all of the, what we know of like Lovecraftian monsters, most of them are known for, not necessarily, there are some that have agency, but most of them just don't care about humanity. So, how do you give the... How are the monsters in Fate of Cthulhu different? Do they have agency? Are they actively 
going up against the characters? Like, what is your all's fiction there? Oh, well, I mean, to some degree, that is going to depend on which sort of creature, which, which, which great old one timeline you have gone with. Um, one of the things that I like about the King in Yellow is that in its timeline, it I guess he is a king. He does make a brief appearance. He can interact with uh, with the players, but he isn't particularly involved in uh, uh, in the in the events. They're just sort of happening around him. And the fact that he you know he has the nature that he does means that the world is getting kind of torn apart as that happens. Whereas someone like Dagon, who is sort of a, a smaller stakes, great old one. I say smaller stakes, still apocalyptic, don't get me wrong. Yeah, everybody's still dying today. It's, uh, okay, I got you. Yeah, everybody's still dying, but the planet will continue to exist. So, um, he, Dagon is much more kind of involved in what is actually a plan in a way that it isn't quite the same for uh, the King in Yellow. That, that's actually one of the things that I really like about the different timelines is that the different great old ones really do have a different uh, feel for how they're interacting with humanity. The, the King in Yellow, you really feel like it is just, he's just passing by and we are suffering in his wake. Nyarlathotep makes pawns out of humanity for his own strange ends. Uh, Shubnuggerath is uh, uh, a a nearly mindless force of destruction where what you are really suffering from uh, is dealing with uh, its its followers, the the ones who want to bring it forth, and that is the, the essence of the challenge, whereas Dagon has a plan and is enacting it. They all feel just a little bit different in, uh, in the way humanity is is interfacing with this this great old one i i i really like that so they have different feelings that they would have basically different feelings at the table then yeah so it's like if we get if you get tired of one let's just just hop over and, and do this other one so do do a different one let's let's uh let, let's not be sought out by a by a horror that specifically wants to destroy us let's go with something who sees us as butt ants there you go oh, so much so, more refreshing absolutely so speaking of all these different eldritch horrors and do you before fate of cthulhu what was your what was your experience then with the fiction of lovecraft and just how cthulhu has permeated pop culture um, I mean, I have read many Lovecraft stories, uh, and, and things in the mythos. I was, I was pretty aware, uh, of the, you know, pop cultural position of Lovecraft. Actually, here's, here's a secret. Can I, can I tell you a secret on this you, podcast? Oh, hey, everybody, listen up closely. We're getting exclusive secrets right here. Okay, shoot. Uh, the first time I ever attempted to run a Fate game some years ago. Uh, in fact, this was when Fate Core was coming out. I think it was while that Kickstarter was going on. I tried to set up a, a Fate game, which was Arkham Avengers, which okay. was I'm Lovecraft-themed in... superhero story? Okay. 
I'm in like right now. You know, you can see the people can't see a lot of people watch our streams. I got a lot of superhero stuff in my room. Like Arkham Adventures. I'm in. When is when when are you all doing that book? All right. <laughs> so that's fantastic then. So you've had so you've had some what you've had some experience then with all this stuff. So what was it what was it like from just somebody who's when when you got the when you got the call to to work on a Fate Cthulhu game? Oh, what was, was that like? I was so excited. I was I was so into it. Okay. I uh, it I, it's it's delightful for me. Um, especially since like a a lot of what I was doing uh for this you know for this game was making the monsters and making these powers and and uh getting to do all these grotesque little crenellations on uh on these uh horrible entities uh and that's so much fun to do you get to use terms like grotesque crenellations <laughs> yeah you don't get to use that all the time in your daily vernacular so that's that's i mean that's fantastic your enthusiasm for this these weird terms it just you know <laughs> it's enrapturing so so one of the things i also wanted to ask you about we we kind of mentioned it earlier and me being a terrible interviewer i didn't ask you <laughs> then okay so aspects what are some of your what are some of your favorite aspects then that you've seen created at the table for fate of cthulhu because i'm sure there's been i'm sure there's all sorts of ones and i'm sure that but what, what are some of the coolest aspects that you've seen oh, or even boy. in the book what are what are some of your favorites because is... aspects for me in fate it's one of the coolest things because especially as a player when i get to create an aspect it feels like i am adding to the world and i'm adding to the story and you can do that as a player so often in other games but fate's one of those games that actually provides mechanics for the players to add to the story that has been written or the story that the GM is working on telling. So I wasn't sure like if you have any of these cool aspects that you could tell the audience of. Uh that is uh I mean that that is such a good question. I'm 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 trying to look over the like the notes I have in front of me uh to see if I can find any any good ones because uh actually pretty pretty recently I was uh running uh a a a session of Fate of Cthulhu for a, a different podcast for the Crit Show, um, and I happen to have some of their aspects uh, right here, and I'm I'm sure they won't object to me. Uh, you can th th throw them out there, and we'll hit them up on Twitter, or they can, they can come find us if they have a problem. Okay, excellent. Um, because one of one of my favorite aspects uh, that is. It's a del it's delightful mostly because of where it exists contextually is that one of those characters had the aspect of just relentlessly positive. That's amazing <laughs> in a Lovecraft game. It is, and it sort of you know reflected in that character made him b b delightful, but also you know very out of place in that sense. That oh, it's a little weird, but it's also so great. Um, and it also gave me, you know, it also gives me hooks to, uh, to work my claws into. That same character also had the aspect of overwhelmingly curious, 
which is just that is how you give the GM a ticket to having bad things happen to you. That's that's like the worst. That is in traditional like mythos style games. That is like the last thing that you want your character to be is overwhelmingly curious. So having that, the game is great. Here's my question though: Were you able to? Were they, did they corrupt any of those? Uh, no, those did not get corrupted. The which overwhelming is... positivity would have been, I guess that would have been hilarious to see corrupted, but also terrible. That, oh, that would, that would have broken my heart just a little bit, but boy, that would also have been pretty great. <laughs> it, it would have been. So we've talked a lot about, um, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the aspects and the, how the corruption system, but are there any other things that you all have done with the Fate Core system that we may not have seen before with Fate Core. Oh, uh, that I mean, that's kind of uh, interesting to mention because we have made a a couple of sort of tweaks and changes uh, enough so that I don't know if you've kind of been following the the Fate news, but uh, Fred Hicks has recently released Fate Condensed. Okay. Which is, um, it, it is kind of Fate version 4.5. It is uh, a slightly tweaked build of Fate based basically on uh, Fate of Cthulhu. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, most of it is text pulled out from, from, from here uh, and stripped of the, the Cthulhu-ness to be... Um, what you want from fate in a document that is shorter and tighter and theoretically uh, easier to to get your teeth into. I do know that you, you all condense the fate core rules a lot, which so now that you're saying that the fate condense, it kind of makes sense. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but in Fate of Cthulhu, you all include... All of the fate core rules, or at least everything you need to play fate within, like, what's it, like, 50-something pages? Something like that. Um, yeah, fate, fate of Cthulhu is uh, is completely standalone. It has all the rules you need to do all of the fate goodness. Um, I don't remember exactly how many pages it takes, but... Yeah, I just pulled out my fate book, and that's like, that's like a 300-page book. Yeah. Uh, but in, in Fate of Cthulhu, we start talking about uh, Great Old One technology on page 51. So yeah, mostly it is the first 50 pages is the the essentials of what Fate is, how to uh, how to run it, how to how to be awesome within it. Yeah, and I don't get me wrong, and I'm sure you'll say the same thing. I love the Fate Core book, and I love everything that's in it. But also, I think it's great to have those rules now. Mm-hmm condensed down yeah i mean i i think fate core and fate accelerated and fate condensed now all are this sort of tree trio of fate products that each each do different things fate core is really great if you are looking for a lot of examples especially detailed ones that is fantastic uh fate accelerated is it is more condensed than condensed, I believe. It is uh, the very pick-up-and-play uh, iteration. And then Fate Condensed exists somewhere between the two. And it uh, is probably, like, if you are interested in starting a Fate game for the first time, that is probably going to be 
looking into fate condensed the the easiest way to uh uh to jump in is the fate condensed then yeah so talking about fate of cthulhu then what's can you say what's coming down the pipeline i i mean horrors okay uh, but I can say that for Fate of Cthulhu, what's coming down the pipeline is that a whole bunch of additional timelines um, are currently in various stages of development for whole different uh, different horrible monsters. I know um, just the the ones that I can think of off the the top of my head are a timeline in which the sort of the villain is the Necronomicon itself. Oh, that's cool. Uh, there is one in which you are dealing with Yog Sothoth, who is in universe. It is the source of time travel, and the way you go back into the past, but also somehow it's what you are going to be fighting. That can get that that can get very messy very quickly. Uh, and there is, I believe, there's a a global pandemic timeline. I um, did just see that. I saw. I saw that tweet recently, which is it shows like somebody with a, like a gas mask on. So interesting. And and those are just the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. There are there are others. So what I so basically so what I wanted to get then is so if somebody were to go pick up Fate of Cthulhu now, it's not like this is it. There is going to be more supporting stuff. People can be assured that there's going to be more because I know gamers if there's. One thing that they like is they like more. So mm. there, there's going, there's going to be more coming from us, and also, like, I would encourage anyone who picks up Fate of Cthulhu and thinks, "Hey, I could try my hand at creating my own timeline." I really encourage you to do that because creating timelines is actually super fun. <laughs> that's I, I think that's cool that you say that because I think that's something that is what has really, that's why one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I love Evil Hat as a company is just because everybody that I've heard from Evil Hat talk is that they always encourage people to go take what they've done and do more with it. Oh yeah. Just, just keep, keep going. Fill, 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 fill this horrid earth with creatures untold. Okay. And that we're going to, we're going to cut it there with, you've heard it from Ed that he wants everybody <laughs> to just go out there and make things absolutely horrendous, but also exciting. So with that, we're going to call it for tonight, Ed, but can you let people know where they can, where they can find you and find what you're, what you're working on, where they can follow you? Okay. Uh, well, you can find me at my website is edlyt.com. That's E-D-D-L-Y-T. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter, where I post inconsistently. Uh, that is also at EdlyT, E-D-D-L-Y-T. Okay, and we will include all that stuff in the show notes. We'll include information for where you can go find Fate of Cthulhu now. Um, purchase it, pick it up um, whenever you can. And then that's where we're going to call it tonight, folks. Um, this has been Tom. You can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter. And as always, don't forget... If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please 
consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.